so hey, turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 31. Uh, that's where we will be uh, today in our text. Uh, there's a lot to cover today, and so I am going to jump right in. Pastor Blake, uh, thank you for doing such a great job last week uh, in, in covering the end of chapter 30. Uh, he covered both Mad Cow and Mad Laban last week, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so uh, we'll kind of pick up where that left off in uh, chapter 31. And so we're going to read the whole chapter, a lot of verses. So pay attention, follow along. I would encourage you if you've got a device, your Bible, whatever it is, and read along with me. Genesis chapter 31. <clears throat> now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob's taken all that, our, uh, that was our father's, and from what our father's, he had gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard with him with favor anymore. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. <clears throat> so Jacob went and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard with me with favor as he did before, but the, Lord of my, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flocks were spotted. And if he said the stripes shall be your wages, then all the flock bore stripes. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now, arise and go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion of inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we, to are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. And the wealth that God has taken away from our father belonged to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob went, set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all the livestock and his property that he had gained, and the livestock and his possessions that he had acquired in Padamaran to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep. Say that. Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And Laban, that means nothing, but I was just, that's just funny. And Rachel stole her father, and Rachel um, stole her father's household gods, and Jacob tricked Laban the Armean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Then uh, when, it was told when, Laban had, uh, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came, out, uh, came to Laban in the, the Armean in the dream that night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And, God, and Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Jacob with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you, why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might, uh, might have sent you away with myrrh and songs of the tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. 
But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to do anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you've longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. For I thought that after you would take, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me before, by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have said, what I have that is yours, and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went in to so Laban went into Jacob's tent and to Leah's tent and to the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And when he went out to Leah's tent, he entered into Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in a camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you hold uh, you ho- have hotly pursued me, for you have uh, felt though. Excuse me, for you have felt through all my goodness. You have felt through all my gods, through all my goods. My Lord, I need some glasses. Somebody give me some glasses. <laughs> what have you found uh, in all of your household goods? Set it here for my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years. Have I been with you? Your ewes and your female goats have not been scared, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself. From my hands you required it, whether stolen by day or by night. There I was. There I was by day, by the heat consuming me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters, of, uh, these my daughters, or for their children, or for whom they are born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let us make a witness before you and me. So Jacob took some uh, stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and, and they ate there by the heap. Laban, uh, Laban called it, this really weird name, uh, but Jacob called it Galid. Uh, Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, uh, be, uh, therefore be named, he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, the Lord is watched between you and me. When we, are out, uh, when we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me, this heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and pillar to me, and do no harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judged between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Chapter 32. I'm just kidding. We'll just stop right there. 
All right, let me pray, and we're going to jump into this, because there's a lot today. Lord, we love you. We need you. Holy Spirit, help me today as I preach. Uh, use these texts. Use what you have prepared for me to say and to preach to uh, point us to Jesus, which in his name we pray, amen. So here we are in, um, in Genesis chapter 31. And so what we find out in the beginning of this story is that uh, uh, Jacob had heard through the rumor mill that Laban's sons were angry with him because what the Lord had done. So the Lord had done this. All the stuff that Pastor Blake, Blake preached about last week, all the stuff that we just read about, we read that the Lord had done these things. He had made uh, uh, Jacob to prosper in the middle of all this. And so, the, But Laban was angry. And the Bible tells us that Laban did not regard Jacob with much favor. And so it was kind of a tough go for Jacob. He had already encountered weak-eyed Leah, and now he was getting stink-eyed Laban. You know, that's, that's kind of where we were in the text because everybody seemed to be mad with him at the time. So the Lord told him, he said, you get up and you go back to the hill country where your fathers were, uh, just return back from where you came from. And so sometimes in the midst of prosperity, the Lord instructs us to go and do something different. Sometimes in the middle of things going really well, when we can't understand it, God calls us to do something that we can't really explain. Sometimes it's where we live. We like where we live. We like the house we live in. We like our neighbors. We like the city we live in. But for whatever reason, sometimes God calls us to uproot that tree and go somewhere else, right? It's happened to some of you. Some of you literally live here. You go to this church today because God has uprooted you from wherever you were before and he has brought you here. Some of you, he will do the same thing. He will uproot you from here, and he'll send you away somewhere else, and it won't make any sense. Sometimes he does it with our work. We love our work, right? We have jobs that we have, and we like where we work, and sometimes God just closes the door on that. He says, it's time for you to go and do something else. Time for you to go somewhere else. Time for you to go and, and change careers. Sometimes you might be selling boxes for 20 years, and I want you to be a preacher. You know, it's the craziest thing in the world, and sometimes it happens. It causes you to do something else. Sometimes it's where you go to church. You know, you're happy in the lark where you are, in the church where you are. Uh, you're singing in the victory wherever you may be. And then God just, for whatever reason, uproots you from your church and says, you know what? It's time to go somewhere else. It's time for you to be planted, not with this group where you are, but to plant you somewhere else. And God does those things. We don't understand why, but God chooses to do those kind of things sometimes. That's what happened whenever we planted this church almost 12 years ago now. We were happy as a lark where we were. And there was no reason specifically for us to leave, but God called us to do something different. And that's why Refuge Church was born 12 years ago. So some of you, and, and God has used that in mighty ways. Some of you are Christians today because you met Jesus whenever, after this church was planted. Not because of us, because the Spirit chose to work here. And so God does things the way he wants to do things when he wants to do things. Uh, but as even in the middle of those kind of things, look what uh, the scripture says in verse 5. Here's what it says in uh, chapter 31, verse 5. Uh, Jacob had called to Rachel, Leah, where the field with the flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. The God of my father has been with me. Laban cheated Jacob. Laban changed his pay 10 times, but God did not allow Jacob to be harmed. In the middle of, no matter how mad Laban was, God did not allow Jacob to be harmed. What was it that caused this to happen? 
Was it luck? Was it fate? Was it just what happened to me in the stars? What does the text tell you? Or what does the screen say? Come on, people. Oh, yeah, it was God. Yeah, it was God who caused these things to happen, right? It wasn't luck or fate. Now, here's the thing. Christians, listen. If you're a Christian, listen. I am amazed at our language because words matter, right? Words matter. The way we say things, the things that come out of our mouth matters. I am amazed at how many of us talk about luck and fate and the stars and my horoscope and all those things like that, right? How many times do we do that thinking that it's just the luck of things that happen? Whenever we read the scriptures and we we believe that God is in control of everything, right? We believe that he does all those kind of things. How in the world do we speak that way? I want to encourage you, Christian, to change the way you speak. Change the way you speak. Think about the words that come out of your mouth because words literally matter. It was the Lord. Let's stop speaking like pagans today. It was the Lord who caused this to happen. Then look what it says in verse 13. Here's what the the scripture says. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. And he said, look, I want to remind you who I am. It is me who is in control of this situation. I am running this show. I am driving this bus, okay? And so he said, I'm in control of this situation. And what I want you to do is... I need you to leave this cat and head home. And so that's what he chose to do. And, and so even Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, said, look, there's nothing left for us here. And so let's get up and let's get out of here. And so, uh, and so they listened to the Lord. What a novel idea to listen to the Lord. What an interesting thing to stop and go, maybe I'll just listen to what it is the Lord has to say. We, we believe these things about God. All the, everything he does is good and right and perfect, right? We agree with that? Come on, if you're new here or even if you're old, I, y'all need to help me today. Y'all need to get prepared for the Super Bowl. Come on. I, I mean, come on now. Y'all know what y'all gonna be doing later today, so prepare yourself, people. I'll be a better preacher today if you'll help me out here a little bit. I know this is a long text, but come on. Uh, the more you help me, the faster I get through it, okay? There we go. That's what I thought. That'll get them started. That'll get them talking. What, but what God does is good and right and perfect. Nothing he does is contrary to the scriptures. Nothing that he does will be contrary to what he's already revealed himself in his word. And so the question becomes, they heard God speak today, but how do we hear the Lord today? How do we hear the Lord today? Well, one of the things is that the, the, uh, we see God in creation. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, right? I mean, the heavens speak. Well, the scripture talks about it in Psalm 19. I don't have time to go there today, but write this down. Psalm 19, uh, uh, verses 1 through 6, talks about the heavens declaring the, the glory of the Lord and how creation speaks to us and that we can see his handiwork in all that he has done and all that he has created. And so even the creation around us speaks to us today about who he is. Secondly, God the Spirit speaks to us. The scripture said whenever Jesus left, he said, I'm not gonna leave you alone as orphans. I'm gonna send the Spirit who will be with you. And so he sent the Spirit and he indwells us as followers of Jesus. If you're a Christian, then you are filled with the Spirit of God. And if you go, I don't know if I have the Spirit of God or not, then you may not be a Christian. 
If the Spirit of God doesn't agree with your spirit, then you may not be a Christian because the Scripture tells us that God the Spirit himself indwells us as believers. He doesn't come and go and ebb and flow. The literally says he fills us with his spirit, and so the, his spirit will agree with your spirit. And so uh, the God, not only does the heavens declare the glory of God, the spirit himself speaks to us, and then his word speaks to us. The scriptures speak to us. The scripture says that it is alive and active. It cuts like a two-edged sword. And the scripture says that, um, that, you should, that it's profitable for you and me to read the Bible it's profitable for us to study the Bible. It's profitable for us to see what it is. It's profitable for you to hear preaching on a regular basis. You should come to church and listen to the word proclaimed. Yes, you can read it on your own, and you should read the Bible on your own, but there's something that God does with the preaching of his word. If you're listening online, you should continue to tune in online, or you should show up here one day and listen to the word preached. But either way, listen to the word preached because it's important for us to take in the word of God, okay? Let's keep going. Look, we'll move to verse uh, chapter 31, verse 17. Look at what the text says. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He uh, drove away his livestock, all the property that he had gained, his livestock, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Patamaran to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Armean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So uh, Jacob and Rachel and Leah took all their belongings uh, under the cloak of darkness and in a nod because it's Super Bowl Sunday, kind of like the Baltimore Colts in 1984, they fled in the middle of the night. Uh, they got out of there and uh, they were gone. If you're not an NFL fan, look that up. That'll be funny then. Then he goes on in uh, chapter uh, in verse 22 and says this, uh, when, it was, uh, when it was told uh, Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him seven days and followed close after him uh, into the hill country of Gilead. But God, underline those two uh, words, but God in verse 24. Anytime you see them in scripture, you should underline them, circle them, highlight them, whatever you do in your Bible. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob either good or bad. And so Laban, Laban pursued them, and Laban was angry. I mean, he was angry about the situation that happened. He was, um, uh, he was hurt by what had happened. He felt betrayed by the fact that they had left in the middle of the night. And, 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 um, but the scripture says that God came to him in a dream and said, look, you be careful not to say anything good or bad uh, to them whenever you get to them. And man, that's just good advice. See, oftentimes, we can find ourselves uh, in the same kind of circumstances. You're angry over something that's happened to you. Maybe you're angry right now over something that's happened to you. Maybe there's a circumstance in your life that's going on, and you're just angry about it. Maybe you're hurt by the actions of a fellow member of this church, or a friend, uh, or, or just, just someone in your family. You feel betrayed by something that someone has said or done, or maybe you're angry because somebody failed to say something to you, or maybe somebody failed to do something for you, or maybe somebody failed to include you somehow in something that they were doing, or maybe somebody failed to seem like they cared. And all those times, 
We just really want to say our peace, right? I, I know this church people. Come on. I know y'all. Y'all like me. Sometimes we just want to say our peace, don't we? Sometimes we need to fill, we feel like we need to fill the space with words. Sometimes, too many times, we lash out with hurtful things and divisive language or cutting actions. Most of the time, the best thing that we could do is listen to these words that God spoke to Laban. Do not say anything. Yeah, shut up. Church, I just want you to think right now. Or if you're watching online, I want you to think right now. Where are some places? When are some times? Who are the people where you just shouldn't have said anything? that you should have just kept your opinions to yourself. That you should have just listened to the Spirit and not made the situation worse. Think of those times. Make a note of that right now. Then go back and clean that up. Maybe you need to go back and apologize. Say, I said some things in anger. I said some things in haste. I said some things out of some dark places in my own heart. Maybe you need to go and empathize and go, you know, I I didn't realize you were in the middle of that. I I didn't realize you had that thing going on. And, you know, that explains a lot about why you might have reacted the way you did. Maybe empathize a little bit. And maybe you need to supersize your apology. It's tough for us people to say, I'm sorry. We're prideful people. It's hard to say, I'm sorry. I'm a big proponent of not just saying, I'm sorry. I have four other words that should follow up whenever you say, I'm sorry. Some of you know what they are. What are the four words? Will you forgive me? Not just, I'm sorry, but will you forgive me? It's, when I offend my kids, when I sin against my kids, it's important that my kids not only hear me say, I'm sorry, you know what they need to hear me say? Will you forgive me? It's important for people to hear you say, will you forgive me? Apologize. Empathize. Supersize your apology. Let's keep going in the text. Here's what it says in verse 25. Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with myrrh and songs with tambourine and lyre? And why did you... Uh, not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell. Now you have done foolishly. So verse 26, he's like, what have you done? What are you doing? I mean, 
you tricked me. You, you took my daughters away from me. How angry would that make you, dudes? I mean, put, your, put yourself in his place. You just ran away with them? You, you tricked me? You left in the middle of the night? You didn't even let me say goodbye to my daughters properly? You left without me getting to kiss them goodbye? Are you kidding me? I have every right to harm you is what he says. Now, I get it as a dad. If anybody were to ever pull that stunt, Jackson, uh, <laughs> then it's right. It would be a bad deal. I'm on real record saying that, bro. Uh, uh, but that's a really... Really bad deal. You, you can understand. That's, that's putting it close to home. You understand what I'm talking about. But in the middle of all this, there's two words that fall right into the middle of all this stuff. You know what they are? What are they? There they are. But God. Man, I love that when that comes in the Bible. Like when you find those in the Bible, you ought to just go, there's something about to happen. I mean, it literally changes what's happening in the text. No matter where you're reading it, no matter what the text looks like, it's literally God is about to change things. He, he, is, he is about to put the situation into reverse. He is about to make miracles happen, or he is about to make some deliverance to come to somebody that's in the middle of their talk. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, some of you have had some but God moments in your life, right? Come on, some of you I mean, those are literal. Those ought to make you charismatic whenever you get some but God moments in your life. You know what I'm saying? I mean, those times happen, and God does some real deliverance and some real things in our life that changes the course of our lives, right? I I'm telling you, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We get out of the Old Testament. Turn to, turn to the New Testament with me really quick. Ephesians chapter 2. Either y'all on a device or y'all ain't paying attention. Come on. I don't hear no pages. Here's what it says. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Some of my favorite things. I've read it here a lot. I just like to read this because it's really, really cool. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what it says. This describes us all. And you were what? D-E-D. -E What's that word? Dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we who? All once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were of na by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Got that? Got the picture? What's the next two words? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, if you don't know that, I'm telling you, that should be just a go-to for you anytime you want to think about the goodness of God in your life. And so, but God, we see it in the New Testament, we see God at work right here in this particular story, but God was at work. And so the text says, but God told me not to kill you. 
God told me to spare your life. God told me not to touch you. God told me not to mess with you. Look what it says in it, verse 30. He says, and now you've gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. And he says this, but why'd you steal my gods? Jacob said, I mean, I, I get, I mean, you laugh and all that kind of stuff, but why'd you steal the gods that I have? And, and verse 31 tells us, it says, because he was scared, all right? <laughs> he was scared. I mean, he was afraid. He said, I was afraid, and, and that's why I left like I did. So in, in Jacob's hasty answer after that, he said, look, if anybody has stolen your gods, he said, we're going to kill them. Whoever took your gods, we're going to kill them. And, and verse 32 tells us that Jacob didn't know that Rachel was the one who had stolen the gods. And then I love the way the Bible is just honest uh, about what it says. Look, look what it says in verse 33. Here's what the text says. So Laban went to Jacob's tent and the Leah's tent and the tent of his two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of the Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the, in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Now, what did Rachel lie about? Rachel said, the way of women is upon me. See, ladies, y'all got this figured out, don't you? Y'all have figured out that any time that you need to pull a trump card, that you can use this line from the Bible. And that line to us is like kryptonite to Superman or uh, a wooden stake to a vampire or a cowbell to an Ole Miss fan. I mean, it is like it repels them in a heartbeat. It is, it just drives the other one away. And, and so um, obviously in this text, obviously Rachel's like, I got to find a way for them not to look any closer at me than it was. And what was it? She says, uh, the way of women is upon me. And the te in the text, Laban's like, uh, okay, I'll just keep moving. Uh, and so he moved on. So anyway, that's just kind of an interlude. It's funny. And honestly, it's a funny interlude here in the middle of this. It's not, it's, I like the way the Bible does those kind of things like that. So what can we take from this? We can take from this that both Jacob and Rachel were pretty good at deception. We already knew that though, right? We knew that they were pretty good at deception from the text that we've been reading about them all through the lives since we've been introduced to them. I mean, we know that of Jacob stealing his birthright from Esau, and then Jacob deceived Laban by uh, fleeing like John Calipari, leaving Memphis in the middle of the night. <laughs> and now we see his beloved Rachel deceiving her father in stealing his idols. So we just see this all through their life. And but I do like the way the Bible describes this incident, though, of really looking for these guys. Now, don't you listen. I've been funny because I think that was a funny interlude in the text. But, but I want you to listen to this. Um, see, I, I think this part of the story is written so that the reader or you and I can see that these are false gods. Okay, this is important. That these are false gods. One, they have no real value, Okay? So he's going, Laban's going to look for these gods, but they have no real value. What can they do? Where are they? 
They're under a saddle, and she's sitting on top of them. They have no real power. They couldn't even make themselves known. It wasn't like they were going, oh, we're under here, you know. I mean, they, they, they couldn't even do that. They, they couldn't make a sound. There was, there was nothing that could happen, so they could even be dying themselves. They couldn't speak. They couldn't do anything. They were stuck under a saddle, and they have no reason to be worshipped. Amen? These false gods, they have no reason to be worshipped. Now, my question is this. What false gods are you worshipping today? What false gods are you worshiping today? Your work? Give it all you got. Give it all your time. Give it all your effort. Give it all your energy. Give it all your mental capacity. You got nothing left for nobody else? You're worshiping your work. Youth sports? Give it everything you got. Give it all your money. Give it all your energy. Don't have time for church, don't have time for God, don't have time for anything else. It, it becomes superseded over everything else that we do. I'm in the middle, I, I, I get it. Other people's affection, give it all we've got, give it all our energy, takes everything we have, don't have anything left for anybody else. Social media, give it all we got, give it everything we have, takes all our energy, don't have time for anybody else. Your children, give them all we got, give them everything we have, don't have any money left over for anything else. <laughs> Your money, give all of you have to it, spend it all up, don't have anything left, do the rat race again. People, you have one life. Listen. You have one life. You don't know how long you have. You don't know how many years you've got. You can spend it and, uh, and use it chasing after gods that have no power. Gods that can be taken away and hidden away and destroyed and not be seen anymore. Are you creating a God of good things? Listen, all those things that I talked about, I'm involved in. And so are many of you. I love them all, but they're terrible gods. They're terrible gods. You have one life. Use it to worship the one true God. Use it to re be remembered for something other than just tangible things. Use it to point others to the hope that is found in the only wise God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't waste it on false gods. The last part of this text is Jacob's response to Laban's unproven yet true accusations of theft. And he recounts the way that he cared for his herds and all this kind of stuff. And you can see that in, in Genesis chapter 36 through 42, and I'm not going to take the time to read that for the sake of time. Um, what the text says is during the 20 years of this labor, that, that this arduous labor that he had recounted for him, Jacob never took advantage of Laban. That's what he said. He said, I never took advantage of you. 
I never took anything I wasn't supposed to take. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't take more wages. As a matter of fact, you, you changed my wages multiple different times. Uh, even whenever uh, Laban sought to mistreat Jacob, Jacob did the right thing. And, and verse 42 tells us why. This is an important verse. It says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and in the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Listen, church. In order that God may sustain us with his favor, and we need his favor. We need his kindness. We need his affection. We need his generosity towards us. We need that in our lives if we're going to live out this life that he has ordered for you and me. In order to do that, here's what we need to do. Let each of us do the duties that have been assigned to us to live our lives rightly. The New Testament writers talk about this all the time, about things that we should put away and the things that we should put on. Put away these things, put on these things. Put away these things, put on Christ Jesus. Put away the old man, put on the new man. The, the scripture talks about that regularly. And it says that each of us that are called to live this life, that God has called each of us to live as followers of Jesus. And see, so the text talk, and the, the, the Bible talks about us not growing weary in doing good. I know it can be long and it can be tiring, and people are exhausting and situations are exhausting. But the scripture calls us to not grow weary in doing good. Whenever we don't do it in our own strength and we do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, then that allows us to not grow weary in doing good. Sometimes we need to take breaks, sometimes you need to take a vacation, sometimes you need to take a sabbatical so that we do not grow weary in doing good. And in that, let us not flee from our proper work that we're called to do. Let us not flee from the life that we're called to live. Let us not shrink back from the life that we're called to live. And then let us not refuse to pursue peace by submitting to many inconveniences. Let, let, let me say that again. And let, I'm going to say it in the positive. Let us pursue peace by submitting to many inconveniences. What does that mean, preacher? That means sometimes this life following Jesus will not be the most convenient. Sometimes this life following Jesus means that we've got to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. That we've got to put away our desires for the sake of others to know Jesus. That means we've got to put away our, we've got to put ourselves not on the throne. We've got to put ourselves way back down the line so that other people around us can come to know Jesus. That's the life that you and I are called to live. Not just the preacher, each of us as followers of Jesus. Well, well preacher, what about when somebody treats us unjustly? What about when somebody doesn't do us right? What do we do then, preacher? Then let us bear our cross. Let us bear our cross in hope and in silence until the Lord supports us and gives us assistance in our hardship and in our distress. See, Paul wrote to Timothy about this in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, but you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. What? And then he says after this, endure hardships. Do the work of evangelists. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Hardships come in a, in a variety of ways. Temptations, illnesses, lost jobs, broken relationships, 
persecutions, we all will endure some type of hardship. Christians, we should not be surprised when hardship comes. Jesus warned us about this. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. Jesus said that. In this life, you will have trouble. Then he followed that up with this. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. See, we endure by his grace. Say that with me. We endure by his grace. To endure means more than to just exist. To endure is to exist in the same manner as before the suffering began. Say that again. To endure is to exist in the same manner as before the suffering began. If Paul had lived through his sufferings, but at some point thrown up his hands in defeat, we all know the Apostle Paul and all the sufferings and the hardships that he faced, if he stopped being obedient to God, if he no longer wanted to, to press forward for the cause of Christ, he would not have endured, right? He would not have endured in the life that was laid out before him. If he had responded with his sufferings with an attitude of bitterness or anger or retaliation or I'll get back at them for what they did for me, then Paul could not say that he really endured. As followers of Jesus, we're called to turn to Jesus with our sufferings. And he faithfully will help us endure these trials. He'll faithfully help us to overcome every temptation. We can learn to have the same kind of joy that Paul had when he was in the middle of his trials. That he knew that that, God, that temptation and those trials would produce godly character and hope. And to endure doesn't mean to simply grin and bear it. Just grit your teeth and hold on to the end. That's not what I'm talking about. See, we're going to feel sad, Christians. We're going to feel betrayed sometimes. We're going to feel angry sometimes. These emotions are not bad emotions, but we only become evil whenever we allow them to take root in our lives at a root of bitterness, evil thoughts, or revenge, or unforgiveness begins to spring up out of those. See, church, we must remember that literally everything in our life comes into our lives through the sovereign hand of God. Literally, everything that comes into our life comes through the sovereign hand of God. He is working out all things for good, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. Obviously, Jesus is the one who endured hardship. He's our great example. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. And although he knew that the cross, he would die at the cross, he has anticipated joy on the other side of that kept him going. He knew what the rewards would be. The absolute redemption of mankind, the salvation of you if you're a Christian. Jesus endured that, the cross, for your salvation. 
See, as this chapter closes, we see that Jacob didn't shrink back from Laban, and they end up making a covenant together. We read through that. And there was, there was great disparity between them. I mean, there were, there were, you know, Jacob had all some good riches, and Laban had lost a lot of different things, and, and yet they made peace with one another, even in the middle of all the stuff that had been going on, all the stuff that we read about, because God had intervened in the middle of their affairs. And in much the same way, God intervenes in our lives. Even when we try to operate in the shadows, or if we try to operate and live in the darkness, many times God is just sparing us from destruction. Those of you who are living in the dark in the shadows now, God is still at work. He's even sparing you today in the middle of your sin. Not even allowing his anger to be heaped on us because of our sin. How? Because God became our mediator. He himself bringing us peace by making an unbreakable covenant between God and man that by whoever would believe in him, any of you that would believe in him, any of you watching who would believe in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. See, God is God. The only God. Not a dead, useless God made from hands like Laban served, but the only wise God, our Savior, who is able to bring peace. He's able to build bridges. He's able to break strongholds. And he is able to begin a good work in you. If you don't know that God, if you don't know the God that we've been speaking about today, if you don't know the God, the creator of the universe, if you don't know him and his son Jesus, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, it is our desire today that you would repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we're gonna give you some of that time, some time today to actually respond to that today. If the spirit of God is at work in you today, Somewhere in this, in this sermon that the Spirit of God has spoken to you and said, you need to be awakened to the gospel. You need to be awakened to the only hope that is out there. You need to be awakened to not these dead gods that are out there, but the only God who is alive. And today is your day of salvation. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. And then I'm going to give you some opportunity to respond, to come to know Jesus. I'm going to stand in front of that sound booth back there and if you don't want to know, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to be saved, if you want to be a Christian, you want to have life, then let today be your day. Let's pray. God, we love you.